Welcome to the 19th episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are recording this week from a hotel in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. Woohoo. Yay. We're on the road taking a road trip, um, perhaps some more drone work. Um, the drone has not come out of its case since we've been on the road, but um, <laughs> perhaps. I got, I got some plan. Okay, good. So, what's up in your world? Um, well, I wanted to, I'm actually writing and thinking about the space enough that I think I have some topics that I can inject into the conversation. Um, I think first and foremost in the, the continuing uh, drama that is cybersecurity um, around, uh, I guess, our country hacking people, people hacking us. More notably, the uh, um, you know last week I think we touched on the DNC hack and kind of the actors there. How Russia's uh, been uh, had the finger pointed at them for being involved in that. But uh, the the news this week is really is that uh, some um, some hackers put um, I can't keep up with all the hackers' names. Let me. Shadow brokers. Shadow brokers, yes. Very cool. Very cool. I gotta start keeping these so that we can create a bot dictionary from all of all of these. <laughs> but Shadow our... Broker is like a D and D character. Exactly, exactly. These are awesome. So I guess Shadow Broker claims that it hacked uh the NSA and uh took a bunch of tools and put them up on GitHub which I find very interesting. They put, they put uh, I guess, two files, one encrypted and one not, to kind of show off what wares they had and that this was a real thing. And, and I guess all the, the, the pros out there say, yes, this is real, including Edward Snowden's um, kind of uh, continue uh, documents kind of validate this. So, um, so really, I mean, I, for me, I mean, it's, it's like... Uh, the latest TV show episode each week of what we're watching. It doesn't feel real sometimes, but um, I'm, you know, keeping an eye, not from an API standpoint, from, but from just a, a transparency and kind of, I don't know, just paying attention to what's going on as, as this thing we call the Internet keeps swirling the toilet bowl. So I have a couple of questions for you. I, I have not been paying as close attention um, to this as you have. But um, so GitHub was cool. With this stuff being posted on GitHub? No. Okay. <laughs> um, so that I I haven't followed up exactly on like what actions they took, but they took um, they took away some links I know um, to specific NSA things to specific um, details that were were involved in in the toolkit I guess, and then beyond that I I don't know that they took down the repo entirely, but I think from a I think this is kind of a glimpse of what we're going to see, you know, I mean, for me, the top social networks that I pay attention to are Twitter, LinkedIn, GitHub, and then, well, blog feeds, which I guess would be Medium in in this case. So those are the networks that I pay attention to that are the most important signals for me, and and Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and these have been, um, I guess some of the leaders in, in censorship, in 
filtering and not filtering, um, allowing abuse. And, and I think that GitHub is just going to have to play in this game um, as this cybersecurity theater continues. Well, I, do, I remember, um, oh gosh, it's probably been five or six years now, um, that they had the um, LOIC, the Low Orbit Ion Cannon. Yeah. Um, which is used for denial of service attacks. They had the code um, for that posted on GitHub. I think it's still on GitHub, but um, it's sort of interesting to see what, you know, because um, it's, you know, it's open source. So, but it's sort of interesting to think about what the, um, how companies are going to respond to to these sorts of um weapons, I guess. I mean, for lack of a better word, weapons being posted on um, on their sites. Yeah, well, and, and I wouldn't say just these weapons, the content being posted on these sites, but, you know, I mean, this is where it really touches on on APIs for me is, is the weaponization, um, our new favorite word, um, of these uh, channels, of these social media me uh, messaging and, and, and media outlets. How is Twitter, um, GitHub, and, and these platforms used to disseminate code and, and content and data, but also amplify that and get people worked up and put out the message? I mean, you know, uh, Guccifer, Guccifer, I guess, however, 2.0, um, which was part of the DNC hack, you know, uh, he, she, it uses uh, a lot of uh, Twitter to, to get work done. And um, so how, how are these, these channels being, being used as part of the whole cybersecurity theater song and dance? Yeah, I mean, and what are, you know, what are the... Um uh, what are the sort of the, the powerful people in the world? Um, how are they going to respond to this? I mean, power, powerful in terms of government, um, but also pow powerful in terms of wealth. I'm looking at, I have the tab open for the story that you mentioned in The Intercept um, on the NSA leak. And I just um, noticed that it's written by Sam Biddle, who, of course, um, was perhaps best known as a writer at Gawker. Um, and thinking, you know, thinking about, you know, Gawker announced this week that they would be closing their door, the closing gawker.com next week. Um, this, the site will go offline. Um, because, Why is that? Because of the, you know, the lawsuit filed by Hulk Hogan that is just financially catastrophic lawsuit that Hulk Hogan won. Um, a lawsuit that was bankrolled by Peter, Peter Thiel, you know. So, you know, thinking about the ways in which powerful people like Peter Thiel are sort of shaping, you know, Peter Thiel sits on the board of Facebook. Peter Thiel is the co-founder of Palantir, which is a, you know, data surveillance um, company that works very closely with the government. So it's sort of like this playing, you know, playing all sides of you know, <laughs> playing all sides as long as you as you profit. Um, well, I think continuing that, just like that, the NSA does. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 the whole you know the API layer for me of of all the cybersecurity theaters. How how are all these channels used uh, to automate messaging? I mean, you you've been having a lot of fun with bots lately, but you know how are um, uh, politically charged topics? Um, 
uh, around the elections, around um, these cybersecurity exploits being automated using um, bot and messaging technology, and how does this, um, how do network these networks filter themselves or not filter themselves? And I know you had a, an interesting encounter with Twitter this this last week regarding their 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 verified, which I think really. Um, you know, exemplifies the priorities of these networks when it comes to uh, filtering um, out abusive things versus, and as well as censorship, I guess, two sides, similar sides of the same coin. So what, what happened with your uh, sense, uh, your verified? Uh, well, I think we talked about um, me not getting Audrey, the Audrey Waters Twitter account, not getting verified a week or two ago. But I'd also applied for the Twitter account for Hack Education to be verified. Um, and Hack Education, I don't ever look at it. It's hooked up that it just tweets, like it's like tweets from, based on the RSS feed from my blog. Uh, I don't, I don't check the account. The account doesn't. Well, the account follows me. Um, it's a bot, essentially. The Hack Education Twitter account is a bot. But, but it's, it's a brand bot. But it's a brand bot, and it was verified, which is, I don't, I mean, I don't understand. I, I mean, I do understand. I understand the motivation. The motivation for Twitter is to, um, is to work with brands. Twitter is interested in brands and celebrity. That's Twitter's, that's Twitter's money. Um, but I thought it was really interesting that that Hack Education, which is the same application process that Audre, that I was denied, and I, the information is the same um, supplied, except I didn't even have to supply a photo ID, right? Because Hack Education isn't a per person whose identity is being proven; it's just a domain name that's resolved. Like I, you know, I mean, I'm just I thought it was really interesting that that Twitter would um, the Twitter would verify hack education but not me it's its owner its sole writer the human <laughs> um, but certainly certainly shows I think as you said the priorities of the company well I think when they're gonna we talked about a couple weeks back about you know Facebook taking down policing videos um, you know uh, police misconduct and and what's been going on um, in that arena. So it's like, what are these platforms' motivations to um, filter, take things down? Um, and then what's the wider, you know, rich, rich folks like Peter Thiel and what's, you know, what, what's he's done to the overall conversation and tone of this, I think, is, is moving things even further back, moving the needle further backwards than where we should be as far as actually protecting people and humans on these networks where we're focusing on, on brands and, and, and bots and automation and amplification and, uh, you know, um, just for the kinds of things that, that they want. Well, he, you know, he, uh, he had an op-ed in the New York Times that Peter Thiel did saying that you know the reason that he supported Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker was that Gawker had violated Hulk Hogan's privacy. That was the that was the basis of the lawsuit. Um, that Gawker had posted a one minute excerpt of a sex tape um, of with Hulk Hogan, and Peter Thiel claimed that Gawker had also um, violated his privacy by outing him. And um, you know the irony, of course, like I said, the irony is that this man sits on the board of Facebook. And this man co-founded Palantir, which are both sort of, fund at, the, sort of at their very core, fundamentally anti-privacy um, 
technologies, anti-privacy companies. So he's, you know, he he's really interested in destroying the free press, um, going after the First Amendment um, of the freedom of the press, um, sort of with this real just hypocritical, I mean, it's just utterly hypocritical um, to claim that, you know, his privacy was in danger um, and, and yet to, you know, profit from, profit from these sort of privacy erasing technologies. I mean, it just seems like the rich are, we're, we're watching the same controls, levers and, and buttons that, that are, were pushed in our physical world for the last, you know, hundreds of years by the, by the wealthy and rich. And, and they've learned very well how to pull those dials. And for a brief moment, the, the web was open in this cool new experiment, but it seems like um, kind of in slow and sometimes in fast motion, this is happening in front of us to to this this new virtual world. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, I think it's happening at the at the level of politics. I think it's happening at the level of um, finance. You know, the financialization, and I think it's happening at the te- level of tech and at the level of culture. Yeah. Well, this this touches on another article that actually a piece I wrote this this week on a, a struggle that I'm kind of conceding to. I wouldn't I, I don't like saying I lost this, but in this same vein of, um, you know, there's a there's a breed of API providers that started coming out in 2011 and 12. One was If This Then That, and one uh, was Zapier. And these companies uh, using APIs allow anybody to um, migrate your data or trigger things or, or, or move things around in the cloud. And in, in database world, we, um, in the enterprise world, we call this uh, ETL or extract, transform, and load. And this is, as a database guy, this is how we, we move database around in the enterprise between system to system. But really, it, 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 it primarily happened behind the enterprise firewall. But increasingly in, you know, around 2000 to 2005, you were doing this to FTP locations and you were doing it to other partner APIs. And then these, you know, as Twitter and Flickr and the Instagrams um, and Facebook started having APIs, uh, companies like If This Then That and Zapier saw the opportunity to open up this kind of ability to individuals to move their their bits and bytes, their images, their photos, their tweets, um, their wall posts, and payments and different things to between different systems. Uh, the difference in the approach being two real stark ones is, is if this then that uses APIs to do all of this, they um, but they don't offer up an API for anybody to build on them. The 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 train stops right there at if this then that, and 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 the value goes to all of their partners. They and they're very closed about their partner network, which is something that I've um, bitched about before. And they, they just refuse to be transparent. Where the inverse of that is Zapier has a has a um, they have an API and they pay it forward by offering an API. It's not as as robust as I would like it to be, but um, they still pay it forward. And so all of this type of moving our bits and bytes around in the cloud has been very much API-driven and, and human-based, meaning I want my Flickr image to, every time I post a new Flickr image, to sh- also show up on my Instagram. I'm able to orchestrate that using OAuth and using APIs. I, as a human, as a user. And so when I started tracking on this space, I called this this 
area, this new cloud version of something very technical. I called it reciprocity because it was, um, I thought the definition really fit um, as far as how countries um, historically do deals, trade deals, and, and, and build markets and, and keep, um, keep in mind, you know, that, that, that both parties involved get something on either end. And, and, and everyone involved, everyone's interest is, is taken care of to the, you know, the best of the ability. So reciprocity meant, hey, we're moving these bits and bytes around. We're allowing people to do it themselves, set it up on their terms, because it's their bits and bytes. Now the problem is, is, is the battle that I'm losing is after three, four years of, of calling it this, I noticed this, this research area wasn't trending upwards like all my other API projects. And, um, and I noticed because I don't use the terminology that, that the cool kids use in this space and that, that a, a core group of people have uh, you know, coined the term IPaaS, um, which is Integration Platform as a Service. And if you look up the definition, the definition is is very um, very technical, and it it doesn't ever talk about the human aspect of this. It's still very much like extract, transform, and load, which is let's get these bits and bytes moved around as fast as possible between systems because we have to make lots of money, and these are commodities. And um, how do we do this? And no mention of the human, no mention of that these are pictures of, of our kids, picture you know things that are are actually valuable. And so I concede I stopped using the term reciprocity as my project name. I'm still going to fight for reciprocity being in this. But this, I think, bringing it back home to what we were just talking about is the, the, the VCs, the leading um, uh, vendors in the space, and the analysts, naming, naming uh, Gartner, Forrester, those types, have all kind of coin this new area, this new term that fits their motivations, and they're going to push this forward, um, this, this, this version of technology that has the potential to be very human-focused, but they're going to make it very much about money and, 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 and what they want. This, of course, reminds me of um, Ursula Franklin, who I think we've talked about several times. Um, she passed away a month or so ago, a physicist um, for the University of Toronto, but her book, um, uh, the real world of technology um, actually had several passages in which she talked about reciprocity and made me think of, like as you were talking, um, you know, made me think about the ways in which I think re reciprocity is this is an, a core missing piece of of um, of the technology world that we've sort of built. She had. Let me see if I can. Let me see if I can find it. Um, what she talks about, um, she has this sort of list of a checklist that we should have for public projects and for, you know, for tech, for, for, for our, for any sort of public decision making. She says, we should ask first if it promotes justice, if it restores reciprocity, if it confers divisible or indivisible benefits, if it favors people over machines, whether its strategy maximizes gain or minimizes disaster, whether conservation is favored over waste, and whether the reversible is favored over the um, irreversible. But she talks a lot about how, you know, technology purposefully does is is isolating in and sort of has um that we th what we think about in the te that computer technologists have confused feedback 
for reciprocity. And reciprocity is something incredibly human, like you said, and it's incredibly contextual. Um, but it's not feedback, right? Feedback is, you know, feedback is sort of how a system would adjust based on data in order to improve performance. Um, but reciprocity is something else. Reciprocity is like negotiation. Reciprocity is is adjustment, but it's adjustment on the sort of by responding humanly, right, and not respond um, and not responding just based on machines and systems and data. And I think that the fact that you know the API <laughs> that the API you called said cool kids, but in fact, like let's be frank, let's the API corporate kids couldn't handle reciprocity because it's actually antithetical. Like the notion of, of reciprocity is truly antithetical to their own technology project, right? To their own worldview, to their own way of thinking and building and designing systems because they are systems to maximize efficiency and maximize profit. They're not systems designed for humans. Yeah, and I mean, this is, this is why everyone's going to, you know, They've been saying it for a while, but they're going to keep saying is that API doesn't work. Um, and my arguments all well, of course it's not going to work because y'all going to suffocate and drown this 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 little experiment that that kind of fl- flourished and blossomed in the same way that that they came out with service oriented architecture, which which never even had the chance to be human and care about um, the bits and bytes and 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 what's important to the average business or individual user. This you know, API experiment just happened to kind of jump out of that experiment and 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 get some sunlight on the open web and, and companies like Twitter and Flickr and Delicious and and all of these companies, you know, flourished by giving users, you know, kind of what they wanted and what they need and, and the ability to define the and, and negotiate out the uh, the terms of that reciprocity agreement. The problem is 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 that as each of these uh, platforms take on more and more funding, their VCs further drive what that vision is. And, and the vendors, the software, the, each product and each vendor they allow in um, as part of this process get, get a vote in this. And then the analysts who are watching the industry, um, the analysts, analysts that aren't like me, that are, care about the industry making money and where where's the money to be made. Basically, all these people are so focused on profits and so focused on on their exit and and these aspects that they're just squeezing the human human aspect out of it. And and they don't really you know I'd say some of them realize it, but most of them don't even know it's happening, and and they just can't understand what I'm saying. But you know, basically making it so us people have less and less control over our bits and bytes and where it can show and then people like Peter Thiel get to say um, you know my bits and bytes I still get a vote and where my bits and bytes flow and who gets to talk about me because I can afford to do so the NSA gets to but the rest of us get squeezed out of all of these negotiations I mean it's not even a negotiation no no I mean but I mean it had it had the makings of it like the OAuth flow um, with some of these reciprocity or you know iPass platforms, um, the the potential was there, the the groundwork was there, but um, it that's drying up and that's going away. Also, I mean, back to the iPass thing is that, I mean, actually, this is a this must be a Twitter bot already. Like, I made the weaponized plus noun. You need to have like noun plus as a service because adding the phrase as a service is somehow like 
is is so common in in technology. I don't even know what it means. Um, well, it's it's one of those like we had this conversation yesterday about uh, um, about how. Uh, Companies love to promise out something, you know, it's like real time is is meant for you. It's like to get you what you want when you want it, when in reality what they want is, is their real time hooks in you so they can push it to you and, and it's about what they want. Real time is about what everyone else wants, not what you want. And it's the same in, in, in this situation is people are, you know, it's, it's, not, it's increasingly not about what you want, it's about what, what, what they want. Right. Um, gosh, I don't think I have any other tech news to talk about this week. That's the nice thing about driving is we're on the road all day and we're not sitting in front of our computers in front of the real time web. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I'm I'm enjoying the distance and the balance and and kind of more structured. Um, I still get a monitor and I still get to understand all of this, but. Um, I think we get to process things a lot more, and it's easier to process a lot of this away from the internet. I think. I mean, I think you still have your mobile phone going. I'm driving, but uh, but uh, we get some distance. No, and I think I actually, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, I I I think that there are people who really bristle with the idea of like the sort of digital dualism that like you need to be offline, and that there's something better about face to face and i think that 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 notion that there are this split between your digital self and your material self i think that that claim these claims of digital detoxing irritate a lot of people but i do think that um if it's not so much it's not to me so much that there's a split between the digital and the and the physical it, but it is this sort of cl- clamoring for attention that a lot of these things want from us. We've, we were talking about this yesterday too. Like, I mean, and I, I'll call it like the pigeonification of humans, right? That we're all supposed to respond right away to push notifications on our phone. We start to behave the way in which the, fo- the apps on our phone want us to behave because they let us know that there's, you know, you get a push notification to check this and a push notification to check that. And it's very much about our, you know, having to respond in real time to, as you just said, someone else's. They really aren't, they aren't really the things that you need to know (laughs) or need to do. That's what I hope, um, you know, me talking about my own personal journey around this separation, this buffer, the, the physical and the digital is I'm not, I don't want to be like what, how I viewed a lot of you know digital detox folks are. Is hey, look, this is this is bad. This way is good, and you should do it this way. And I don't feel that way at all. Um, in 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 the in the spirit of kind of what you and I talk about, reclaim and, and reclaiming as much of ourselves on on the digital uh, kind of landscape. This is a big part of that. Is just identifying what tools you use, why you use them, how you use them, what are those terms of service, what are, you know, is, are there the push notification settings um, that they, that they offer up enough for me to control and, and, and dictate the terms of that attention that, that, that is, is, is asking of me, and can I turn that off or, or do they abuse that ability? Do every time a new version of that app comes out and the settings change, and then I'm I'm faced with a whole bunch of other other notifications. So, really, to me, it's about helping people understand that 
that this is happening. This is why you feel like this. And you need to start taking some of this back and, and have the agency to um, clank, carve out your own world and define what is, is wh who, who you want to have your attention, who you don't, and take as much of that back for yourself, even at an individual level. And then we take it all the way up to the professional level when it comes to your actual, I guess, IP content, what you produce. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, then, till next time. I don't know where we'll be recording this next week, but uh, I guess we'll talk more then. All righty. Good stuff.